Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 5 is over, but we are just getting started answering your feedback questions on the Game of Thrones feedback show here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two people everybody loves seeing together even more than Brienne and Tormund. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler, who's right in the room with me. Yeah, that's true. I am in the room with you, but that's not true that people like seeing you and I no, together more no, than Tormund and Brienne. No, it's actually the opposite. I was going to say what is probably more true Uh the two things that people hate seeing pop up even more than genital warts (laughs) that was going to be my intro i felt like that was too strong too hard to open it was pretty pretty hard to open uh that itself is a questionable thing to say uh but you know i think didn't we start last week's feedback show on rocky ground as well so probably you know i think that one was my fault this one is your fault so it evens out let's set the stage here that we are here in my hotel room on the third floor of the pepper mill resort here in reno yes reno nevada here at jason somerville's run it up event uh for this hour we'll call it river run it up river run it up (laughs) here we are it's a big poker event of course uh, jason somerville is a, a huge deal in the poker world in the poker streaming world uh he's become a good friend over the last couple of years and josh and i are here for his event a bunch of other survivor people are here we're gonna be doing a show with them but while we're here together on the road we figured let's do our game of thrones feedback show while we are in one place yes yeah, so let's do that while our minds are still together and not scattered throughout time where we are forced to only say some mangled version of run it up Reno for the rest of our lives. <laughs> what would it condense down to? That's probably just run up. We, run. Be, we become run up. <laughs> well, are you putting yeah. Reno in there? No, I think you like, get that out. That's like the, the that's probably, yeah. yeah. Is that how they came up with the word Reno? Was yeah. it run it up? Reno yeah. just got shorted down to Reno. Reno, 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 <laughs> Reno. All right. So again, the world is still, really reacting reeling reeling from the hodor incident the hodor of it all one might been in elevators i keep saying oh hold the door hold the door everybody did you see that people are uh taking stickers of hodor's face and posting them up against hold door buttons on elevators around the nation perhaps even the world yes well that's what i think is going to be the legacy of this i think that that's just going to be the thing you say when you want somebody to hold the door open for you we were traveling yesterday yeah we needed the the pilot to hold the door open for the plane that we missed oh are we going here we're going <laughs> to talk about that that we missed our we mention it. Uh, dragon airways yes. We, uh, yes we missed our druber to to river run yes. it up Reno. we were like aria and the hound getting to the red wedding in terms <laughs> of the airport luckily you know, there was no the flight that we missed didn't yeah. end up going as badly as the Red Wedding. Yeah, no, it seems like everyone made it. That's ideal. That's great. Our good friend, uh, the backfish, was uh, on that on that dragon on his way to River Run It Up Reno. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, he's okay as well. Yeah. So what sort of things have you been covering about Game of Thrones for Hollywood reporters since the episode? I've been knee deep in the time travel stuff because, you know, it's really, you know, just as it fried young Willis's brains, it's kind of fried everybody else's, mm-hmm. mine included. So uh wrote a little bit about that this week, kind of comparing it to... uh my favorite show lost which i tend to do which aspect um well there's a really great episode and not to get too far down the spoiler rabbit hole for a show that we typically don't talk about on the game of thrones feedback show at least 
but in Lost, there was an episode of Lost called The Variable, which was about a character named Daniel Faraday, who is really knee-deep in time travel, loves that stuff, is the expert on it, and we come to learn that, you know, sort of his fate is tied up in this closed loop. Um, he is, he's really, every, his whole purpose, his life's work, everything is spawned from some very dark time travel nonsense. And I thought that that was an instructive way to look at the Hodor situation, to, to see how that played out, that Hodor is only Hodor because Bran Stark goes back in time and connects Hodor to young Willis with this hold the door moment. And this is just this infinite thing that is looping back and forth. So I wrote a bit about that this week. Did a little video about that for THR. You did uh, a video? Yeah, I do videos for THR. Did you not know this? No. Yeah, I do like a weekly video. And you, you're like on I'm camera? I'm not cheating on post-show recaps. No, you, I, I didn't know this. So you like, you, you're like on I camera? I record an audio. Uh, I record a script. I write a script. I record a script. Uh, the great video editors at I, THR, okay. they cut some video together. No one needs to see this. Yeah, well, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, no like, one needs to like, see uh, this. You no, have like no, a no, studio. No, no. no, God, no. Uh, no one needs to see like my funky bedroom or whatever it is that I'm mm-hmm. podcasting from. No yeah. one needs that. But no, my voice is chiming over some of those videos. So I recorded that. Got to speak with Christian Nairn, the actor who plays Hodor. Got to talk to Isaac Hempstead Wright, my best friend, who plays Bran. So those were the two interviews I did this week. So I've been really knee-deep in all of this Hodor stuff. And it's been, I I hesitate to say fun, because it's so brutal and devastating and emotionally taxing. But it was a great episode. It was a great episode. It, It played out so well. I think that this is, you know... We talked a little bit about like, you know, is this going to be like a top 10 episode of mm-hmm. Game of Thrones? I don't I don't know that. I think we're still close to, you know, too close to the episode. But I feel like the Hodor death, I think even just knee jerk is probably going to hold. This door will hold that the Hodor death has to be a top 10 death on Game of Thrones. I think that the oh, way sh- that played out sure. is, sure. you know, and some people were even arguing that it's red wedding level. That feels hyperbolic just because that was so shocking. And I think the Ned Stark thing was so shocking but, but this was huge. This was more shocking in that there were book readers who knew Ned Stark was going to die. Right. There were book readers who knew the Red Wedding was going to happen. Yep. Nobody knew this was going to happen. So it was a surprise for everybody. Big shock. And the thing that sucks is like it's confirmed outright that this is going to be in the books. This mm-hmm. is one of those things where a lot of the time David Benioff and Dan Weiss are saying like, oh, we're doing different things from what George R. R. Martin is doing. But they came right out and said like, now, this one's on George. George came to us with the idea that this is what Hodor meant and all of that, and we were horrified by it, and now it's on the show. So that's going to be, you know, that's really devastating that this has been Hodor's plan, the plan for Hodor for like 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sucks. It's a really rough way for that guy to go, but it's really great writing, I think, and is obviously very shocking, and uh, I hope it still has impact when we get to it in the book. But at least on the show, there's no doubt that it had massive impact. And the Hodor hold the door moment for me, I thought it was a little reminiscent of a different Lost episode. Okay. That to me, I thought it reminded me of Expose with Hallow Lies. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Hallow Lies. Paralyzed. Yes. Yes. Pair of lies. And I like that at that moment. I, I thought this was really good, too. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, and also, Expose is a great episode of Lost. And anyone who says otherwise, I will fight you. Hashtag Razzle Dazzle. Um, but we don't need to talk about Lost for too much. Other than to say, the Three-Eyed Raven's Lair really is the swan station. You know, mm-hmm. they spend so long trying to get into the damn thing. Little do they know that there's just a back door around the way that they can go inside of 
would have made everything a lot easier. Absolutely. All right. So where do you want to start our feedback conversation? I think we got to keep talking about what we're talking about right now. I mean, looking at the feedback forum, always put together by the great Alex Kidwell, uh, just like 90% of this is all about Hodor. Uh, all As about, it should be. All about Hodor, all about everything that happened in the brand storyline. So not necessarily all Hodor. But let's talk Hodor while we have the chance. Um, how about we start with this voicemail from our good friend Humby, who wants to say a couple of quick words about Hodor, the man we have just lost. Hodor, 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 Hodor. All right. So that's What's that score he has behind him. <laughs> is that a score? It was like some swelling, like sad music. Or he just had the TV on. It sounded like a shower. <laughs> the so shower. It's like the scene in Ace Ventura. Oh, the shower when door. He's, when he's like sitting in the tub and just like <laughs> screaming and crying. That's what I imagine Humby is doing. <laughs> and just like bathing off the sadness. Yeah, brushing out his eyes. But I do wonder like what were the reactions around the world? I haven't seen, you know, how they used to do videos of like, and I guess people didn't really have the inkling to be yeah, taping each other. Yeah, nobody was set up recording people on YouTube right. watching Hodor. Right, like unforgettable Ned Stark reaction videos. Like, so there's so many of them. And even the Red Wedding, like, you could identify that that was coming up. And if you knew it was coming, you could tape your friend who didn't know. Mm-hmm. No one was being taped on the night that Hodor died. But I do wonder, like, what do you, what, what would you guess are, like, some of the reactions that people had? Were people throwing things? Were they too upset? I think that the Hodor reaction, I think, is probably a different one than Ned Stark or the Red Wedding because the Red Wedding, things are happening so fast. People are getting stabbed. With this, this is more of like a slow reveal of like, it's like a light bulb goes off. Right. I feel like it's more of a, oh, than a, <gasps> like, I think it's more of uh, like coming to terms with what had just happened as yeah. opposed to like, a, and Oh, this is what it meant all along. It's sort of like a, you know, um, you know, usual suspects type moment. Right. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> he's like, well, we were saying, is he like a verbal kint? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think in the end, Hodor was just Hodor. Uh, but I think that, you know, a lot of people were obviously devastated by it. And I think that it's, you know, it's, it sucks. It sucks to lose Hodor. I think that the way that we lose a lot of the characters in that scene it's very sudden and so much is happening at once. It's kind of hard to keep track of like, oh, did Summer just die? Yeah. Did we just lose Summer? And then they, they didn't make a meal out of no, that. They're no, they're just, well, the walk, the walkers they did. did. They yeah. did. Uh, but they moved right along. And, you know, the three eyed raven is, you know, it looks really cool when he's like killed. And then like you see his body floating away into ash in the in the vision. Um, but they really like don't stop down on that at all. And there's really no drilling down into the emotional consequences of any of it. And I kind of like that because it's really a wake-up call for Bran and for that character that, like, all of these people have just died very suddenly and very quickly because you screwed up something so hugely. Um, And I think that's the nature of war, man. And Bran Stark, he's at war. Mm -hmm. So I think that he'd been living in kind of like this fairy tale land for so long and for it to be ripped away so devastatingly and so quickly, I think that that was a really cool direction for the show to go in yeah real charmed life brand stark has had up until this point to have it all ripped away from him yeah i mean that being said he really had it rough once upon a time <laughs> no as well. i know <laughs> bro i know bro i know it was really <laughs> tough um this is a, a question a long question from daniel Klug, who had written in and said was the origin story of hodor or the hodor origin a warning <laughs> from the three-eyed raven to brand i understand that it needed to happen for lots of other things to take place 
but it was so different from the Tower of Joy scene where the Three-Eyed Raven tried to keep him from interacting with young Ned. Instead, he tells Bran to warg into Hodor, causing this chain of events. Do you think it took Bran making this terrible thing happen to Hodor to make him more careful with his powers, especially now that the Three-Eyed Raven is gone? Will this change him? What's your mm. take on that, Rob? So the Three-Eyed Raven knows all this is going to happen. He says, listen to your friend, Brandon. Brandon. Yeah. Uh, so, hmm, it really just comes down to a big question of how much foresight about all of this did the Three-Eyed Raven have? Because I feel like that you said when we talked about this initially after the episode, it's like, no, Three-Eyed Raven did not know he was going to talk to the Night's King. That sort of happened. But how is the Three-Eyed Raven omniscient about all other things but doesn't know that Bran is going to, you know, conjure up the Freddy Krueger Night's <laughs> King yeah. in his dreams. So if we're saying that, oh, Three-Eyed Raven just knows everything, well, then why didn't he know this very important thing that was going to lead to his own death? Like, Three-Eyed Raven was just blind to the fact that that's how he was going to die? Because if whatever happened, happened, right. you can't say, like, oh, okay, well, Brandon changed the t-. Like, Three-Eyed Raven's like, oh, I'm going to die in, like, two years from now after I train Brandon Stark to do everything. Right. So what is it? What is it indeed? Um, well, why don't we field a voicemail from our buddy, our Philly, who wants to tackle this very Explain question. Explain it, Rich. Hey, what up, Robin Josh? It's Rich Roberto, you boy, our Philly. One more question for you guys. After Bran's encounter with the Night's King, the three-eyed raven turns and says to him, he touched you. And I read that in that moment as much more of a statement rather than a question. He's telling him, I know what happened. He touched you. So given everything else we know about this guy... Is it safe to assume he let Bran go rogue and that he let this entire scenario play out for whatever motivation he might have to do that? I'm really curious if you guys are reading that the same way I am. And if you are, what do you think it would have motivated him to let that play out that way? I hope you're kicking everybody's ass at poker out there in Reno and having a good time. Thanks so much. You guys have a good one. How are we doing on that front, on the ass kicking front? If by kicking everybody's ass you mean not winning, yeah. then we're doing a great mission job. accomplished. Yeah, we are killing it. We are Crushing kicking it. ass like uh, mofos. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, like uh, like uh, Lord Robin. <laughs> yeah, sweet we Robin. Are, we are the Lord Robins. <laughs> we are the sweet Robins of River of Run battle, and of Poker Battle. Yeah, we're doing a great job. A really, really good job over here. <laughs> Oh, boy. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about what our Philly uh, brings up there. This idea that did the Three-Eyed Raven know? Did he know that this was going to happen? Is this part of it? I see you shaking your How head. How could he not have known? How could he not have known? So you think he did know? I think he knew. So he puts this into motion. He allows this to happen because this is the plan and things must go accordingly. We got to stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. Stick yeah. Stick to the plan because if this happens, if I die, if the children of the forest die, if Hodor dies, if Summer dies... And Bran escapes and Mira escapes, then they are going to be free to do the other things that I also have foreseen, and everything is going to be well. In the this world. was like his Obi Wan Kenobi moment, right? So then, does that mean that like he has foresight enough to know how this whole thing is going to end? Three sight, three sight. <laughs> That's right. It's only three. I'm sorry. I'm giving him too much credit. Uh, so is his three sight strong enough that he knows exactly where Bran is going? And how this whole thing is going to end. Like, is he he nervous about the outcome or does he know what the outcome is? 
He's the only one. He's read all seven books. He's so he knows how this all plays out. He's read all he's seven the books advanced copy. so many times that he's the one who's frustrated that George R. R. Martin extended it to an eighth book, and that book is unpublished. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I think he does. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that this was a total blindside for him. And so, yeah. Yeah. I, did, did it, does it feel that way to you? Like, he's like, yeah. oh, you really screwed up this one now, Bran. It was the kind of thing where, like, Bran is, like, in the in the cave, and he's, like, looking around. He's, like, seeing if anyone's awake. He's like, I'm, I think I'm going to warg tonight without permission. I think I'm going to go and do it. And, like, he looks up at the raven. The raven looks like he's sleeping. You know, like the raven wasn't asleep. The raven's mm-hmm. like, "All right, here we go. I guess I'm gonna die in the next five minutes." Time. I think we're here finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that the ra- My sense is that the raven, the way that he says that, he touched you. Uh, it's like maybe he didn't know when exactly it was going to happen, but I think he knew it was going to happen eventually. And I think that he did see that this outcome was possible. I think that, or if not possible, then probable even. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think that he must have had some sort of sense that this is where it was going. And I think that you could sort of like follow the logic of it because does the three eyed Raven when he's showing him young Willis at Winterfell, isn't he showing him that because he wants him to see, Oh, Hodor, you were normal. That's sort of setting this up for this moment where he's going to take him back to, he specifically brings Bran back to this moment and Hodor is because hold the door. Why right. are we holding the door? Obviously, the Three-Eyed Raven knows that at some point, the Night's King and the people are going to come through and Hodor is going to have to hold the door. He's the only one that knows all this information. That's why he's taking Bran back to this point. Yeah. So I think that everything is intentional for the three-eyed raven now he probably he could have told some of the children of the forest to like hey maybe you guys settle your affairs right right to your uh, the children of the children of the forest wherever they are if they exist i mean seems like poor leaf she flew um yeah so that sucks i think i think that i think you're right and i think that i think especially the hodor thing is really what's instructive Mm -hmm. is because how else was hodor created this moment always happened um and the Raven probably, especially like if he knew that this Hodor guy is coming his way, he's like, let me check in on him. Let mm-hmm. me see how this all happened. You never know. There may have been a Raven looking at the Raven and Bran looking at young Willis. How about that? How about that for some time travel trippiness? Do you see what I'm saying? There's another Raven who is checking in on that future past moment because he's gone there to see how Hodor gets <laughs> named. Yeah. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. possible. Some weird stuff is happening. My nose may be bleeding. uh, And that's probably because I've been thinking about time travel for too long. Yes. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about what's going on. Um, Let's talk. Let's get this again from our Philly. He has another great question here um, about. We talked a little bit about maybe some zombie Hodor action. Maybe there's some other zombie action we're going to want to worry about. Here's our Philly. Hey, what up, Rob and Josh? It's Rich Filberto, your boy, our Philly. So the other night, Josh mentioned there's a very good possibility we're going to see Hodor again reanimated as a white. And I think that that's very likely. But I'm really curious. Do you guys think that we're also going to see Summer reanimated as a white? Because that just plays to me like the consummate Game of Thrones twisting of a knife and this already excruciating wound that Bran's going to run into the two of them again. Thanks so much. You guys have a good one. Yeah. What do you think about that? Are we getting zombie summer? Hmm. Is that possible? Do they have zombie? I guess they have like zombie horses and stuff like that with yeah. the, like that big scene that we saw. So I, I guess it's possible. Like I, I kind of don't think that they were going to see zombie Hodor, White Walker Hodor. I guess it's possible. 
I think it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I, I would say I'd bet against it. I'd say, hey, we're in Reno. We're we're in Reno. All right. So, well, and I, our track record's so good. Yeah. So while we're on this hot street, I, I'm seventy thirty. We won't see zombie Hodor. I think you're probably right, but just for the sake of keeping it interesting, I'm going to say we're going to see we're going to see zombie Hodor. We're going to see zombie summer, and I think that it's just it's going to be another physical painful reminder for Brand that I done screwed up. I yeah. messed this up. My friends are not only dead, but now they're zombies, and that's awful. Um, I feel like that would be good. I feel like it would be good TV. It would be really brutal. It's like, I mean, it's not a great example because we were psyched when Joffrey died. I guess the better example would probably be Ned Stark. Ned Stark gets beheaded at the end of episode nine of season one, and the very next thing you see in episode 10 is they're lifting his head up in front of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Joffrey example you know, is like actually, he's dead at the Purple Wedding and then they start. Did you really? But I saw the play. Oh. <laughs> so I, I had to catch up with the... It's uh, a good show. It really was. Yeah. It's a good play. Uh, a little warty at the end. <laughs> Didn't enjoy that. Yeah. Lady Crane, though. Yeah, Lady Crane is killer. Amazing. To die for. Die for. Yeah. To kill for. <laughs> two um, rums up. Two rums. <laughs> what? Um, I, think that, uh, I think that it's not impossible that we see Zombie Hodor. I think, I mean, it would be crazy. Like, we haven't really seen many beloved characters come back this way. Mm-hmm. And that's like the bread and butter of The Walking Dead. Yeah. So, like, now that we're in, like, firm The White Walking Dead territory, don't you think it would be great to see, like, a beloved character come back in that way? I think that that would really, really rub in the idea that this thing is real now. Like, this walker threat is very, very serious. And look, poor Hodor is one of them at this point. Yeah, I mean... It would be nice to see Hodor in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would say nice, but it would be, <laughs> it'd be interesting. Uh, let's take a voicemail from Steve Davis, who wants to talk a Steve! little bit. Steve's back. Steve wants to ask about what's going on with the White Walkers this week, the big revelations that we learned, and uh, what we can take away from some of those reveals. And if there's somebody we should be blaming for this. Yo, guys. Steve Davis calling. So it was said in the earlier seasons that the White Walkers had been sleeping or gone for thousands of years, and it certainly looked like they were sleeping when Bran went on that rogue Jack Bauer mission. Was this the thing that actually woke them up and started everything? What do you guys think? All right, so we're blaming Bran for so much already. Do we want to throw this on him as well? Not only did he go rogue and hang out with the White Walkers and the Night's King grabs him, and that's how he brands Bran, and he's able to see the Three-Eyed Raven's lair, and the Three-Eyed La- Raven gets killed, and the Children of the Forest get killed, and Hodor and Summer get killed, and that's all very clearly Bran's fault. Do we also want to throw at his feet that Bran going to that vision is what activated the White Walkers? No. Yeah, I agree, no. I don't think so. I just like the timeline, I feel like, is really screwed up. So we're saying that Bran, when he went to go see the Night's King, right. that was like five years ago when yeah. he saw the Night's King, but now the Night's King, because he touched his arm, he knows where he is. He's coming the next day. Yeah. So to me, I feel like that he was going to see the present day Night's King. Yeah. And then that's why he showed up at his door as opposed to like maybe five minutes ago. Right. It's like, it's like a couple of hours into the past mm-hmm. and that's why they were able to get there so fast. Yeah. So I feel like that. I don't think it was that he started a chain reaction of events here that led to the White Walkers being reawakened. No, I think that we can blame, you know, we can blame children for 
the Awakening of the White Walkers, but not Bran. How about the Children of the Forest? How about we point this one oh, they made them. directly at them? I think that they really screwed up. I think that they really messed this thing up. It is a good question, though, to me of why is this happening now? You know, we have a lot of sort of uh, the mythos of Game of Thrones right. is that oh, the dragons came back and sort of with that, a lot of the magic in the world was reawakened. But we see in the very first episode of Game of Thrones that there is a White Walker attack. It's actually the first thing that we see in Game of Thrones. So if that's the case, I mean, Danny's eggs aren't going to hatch until the end of season one. So what is it in particular that led to the sort of this reemergence of the White Walkers at this particular point in time? I hope that we see that, you know, yeah. I hope that Bran's ability you know, winter is coming. Right. Is that just like the, the winter has was so far away. And then, well, we didn't really talk about this. Um, so in the episode, when we see that scene of the Night King being transformed into the Night King, he's mm-hmm. getting the dragon glass shoved into his chest. It's clear as day. Looks like a beautiful day in Westeros, right? Yes. Like it's clear skies, great foliage, the buttery browns. Uh, it looks fantastic. Um, and then Bran later in the episode, he goes rogue. He sidesteps over to the same tree, it seems like, that is now covered in snow, covered in ice, all of that good stuff. Um and that's clearly the same place. And that's where the Night's King is now and where the White Walkers are now. Why wasn't it that way long ago? Was is, is winter coming? Is the changing of the seasons, is that kind of definitively tied to the birth of the White Walkers? The fact that these people exist, did that change the climate in Westeros? I don't think so. I, I, I feel like that's not the case. And... If it was, it just seems like there were no seasons mm-hmm. in this world. Like, yeah, why do we always, have seasons? It was always it, spring, just, permanent spring, permanent spring. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I'm necessarily buying that. You know, our good friend though, uh, Stephen Fishback, did have a, a particularly funny take oh, about, about all this. Well, that I know you, you were the one talking to him about this. That he really did not like the idea that the Knights King used to be a man. Right? He hated it. Do you, can not you, a big fan. Can you paraphrase why? Uh, I wish that I could, Rob, but my memories of this conversation are somehow dulled. (laughs) Well, that he was saying that he thought it was kind of silly that the whole uh, Knights King and White Walker menace Uh was sort of created as a reaction to some sort of like uh, anti logging uh, (laughs) activists Uh (laughs) that really. He did not. That's what he was uh, really annoyed about. So he didn't like that it was like an EPA thing. He didn't like that it was like the Environmental Protection Agency <laughs> is what created the White Walkers. But yeah. we know from Ghostbusters that those guys can be jerks. Just, mm-hmm. just look at Walter Peck. He was an environmentalist, and he's like the biggest bad guy of the eighties. Yeah. So that's what he was really annoyed about. That's funny. The construction of this. That sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take another question. How about? in terms of how the White Walkers were taken down. We lost a White Walker. Not to be lost in the conversation here. We lost a lot of good people in this episode, but one of the White Walkers died. Let's take a voicemail from Justin about that very topic. Hey, Rob and Josh. Justin from Reno here. Yes. Why is no one talking about Mira Reed killing a White Walker? We know so little about them, and until now, we've only seen Dragonglass kill them from Sam and Valerian Steel from John. It seemed like the spear Mira used was pretty normal. Are the White Walkers more vulnerable than we thought? It's a good question. Is it a spear that was one of the spears that was from the Children of the Forest? Yeah, it seems like it, right? So do they have spears that can kill 
the White Walkers. Um, I got into a very long text message exchange with your friend in mine, Antonio Mazzaro, a couple of nights ago. Okay, about this? About this very question. He had he had a lot of hot takes about Mira Reed that I think I'm going to try and save for the book club podcast. Okay. Uh, but for the purposes of this show, to speak in more general terms, he was curious about why Mira was able to do it. And I was like, well, couldn't it have just been, you know, that she had dragon glass? Was it a dragon glass spear? Um, and Antonio's problem was like, if they had dragon glass spears, why weren't the children of the forest just like posted up around that tree at all times with dragon glass weapons ready to go? Why wouldn't they just launch that stuff at the White Walkers? Um, so there's also the Antonio floated the possibility that uh, what if it was some kind of magic weirwood spear? Uh, if that's the case, if like weirwood is something that can destroy the White Walkers now that we know that the children of the forest made them and maybe their like natural woods could destroy the White Walkers. If that was the natural case, natural woods, you said yeah, the natural woods. That's what I said. And it's, it didn't come out gracefully. But if the weirwood, if the weirwood is something that could be used against them, why aren't there arrows and children of the forest stationed above the cave when the White Walkers walk up? That's what Antonio had said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's skeptical. He's quizzical. He does not know why Mira Reed was able to take one of these guys out. I feel like it's got to be as simple as like that was probably like some sort of dragon glass tipped spear. Yeah, I think that the children of the forest are magical. They created the White Walkers. They've been fighting them back for years. If I understand my Westerosi history, Mm. the White Walkers were beaten back once, correct? Yeah. Yes. And so the children of the forest were in on that initially. So I feel like that they have some methods, whether it's dragon glass, whether it's some other substance that we're not familiar with. I think it's entirely possible that they have spears made of that substance and Mira just picked up their spear. Uh, but, you know, there were many, many White Walkers. There yeah. were like six children of the forest. Yeah. They were badly outgunned don't, and outflanked. Don't you think that, like, they should have waited until, like, the White Walkers themselves got a little bit closer? Like, they dropped their, like, fire bombs and create a ring of fire around the mouth of the cave. Couldn't, like, a couple of them, like, stayed and just waited until the Walkers were a little closer and they just, like, chuck the fireball in their face wouldn't that have been a move i guess so i guess it's like, so you know you're gonna die anyway and at least it's, it's close range yeah feels what like that's a guaranteed hit that the children of the forest have like those sort of like uh thermal detonators yeah i think it's a thermal detonator is that what it is i don't know it's a firebomb they're like i don't know kids like to play with like firecrackers so it makes sense that the children of the forest would be using that as their <laughs> primary weapon okay be careful are you gonna miss the children of the forest no you're not gonna miss them at all no even though it's an entire species of people that are wiped out and they were really old and ancient and responsible for so many of the things we love? No, not particularly. <laughs> it's it's not my favorite part of the Game of Thrones universe. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, it's not a part of the universe anymore. Yes. They're, they are dead. Um, let's ask about this. I'm Team Andals. You're, t- you're Rob the Andal. <laughs> that has a ring to it. All right, let's take this voicemail from Andrew from Ireland. One more on the White Walker threat and talking about specifically the White Walker that Mira Reed killed. And is there going to be some follow up on that? And this might be instructive of where we're going with the brand story. Hey, guys, this is Andrew Coynan from Ireland. Um, I have a bit of a theory regarding where Bran is going next in the show. Um, so it doesn't really seem like he can escape from the White Walkers because Mira is carrying a really tall guy on a little crate. So. After Mira killed one of the White Walkers, it kind of seems like there's a space left. Uh, And I I always love that imagery of the four horsemen. So do you think it's possible that the next White Walker to replace the dead White Walker that Mira killed could be Bran? 
Um, I just think it would be a really cool twist in the show, and then we wouldn't really know who to root for. Um, also, can we take a minute to appreciate the amazing music in the last episode? It was just, uh, it was absolutely incredible and really emotional. Thanks, guys. Strong music. Mm-hmm. Very haunting version of the Game of Thrones theme that plays when the White Walkers emerge outside of the cave. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. It was good. How about this idea that Bran Stark could be turned into a White Walker? We know how White Walkers were made to begin with, but we also know how they're made now. And we saw in the very first time we ever saw the Night King, he turns one of Craster's babies into a White Walker just by zapping him on the face, just like a finger tap and it's done. Could that happen to Bran? Could Bran become a White Walker? And would that be cool? I think that Bran could become a white walker one does he want to i would not see why that he would want to but would he have a choice well that's the question of it's like hey if we let us become make you a white walker you could walk that's part of one big part of it you do call us walkers you are white and you are a walker that's really what we do (laughs) that's how it would work that seems like it would be a, a, a decent deal i guess so but i feel like that I don't know. Is that's Bran's destiny? The Three Eyed Raven. He sees everything. Yeah. Brought Bran all the way up here to have. He's going to reform uh, White Walker policy. Mm, unless it's like one of these things where it's like a Hugh Borg type move, where Bran is going to then sort of like infiltrate the whole White Walker network. Yeah. And take them down from the inside. Yeah. I don't think that that's where this is going. Do you? No, probably not. Um, I do think a lot of the conversation about this situation right now stems from like. The Night King is after Bran, wants to kill Bran, wants to defeat him. And I, I feel like some consideration should be paid to the idea that the Night King wants to use Bran, wants Bran's power, has some sort of ulterior motives for Bran. It's not as simple as him. So Luke Skywalker and the Emperor thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's really on the table. And I think it's especially on the table when you consider, like, how do Bran and Mira get out of this one alive? Like, how do they escape? They have, you know, the, just the two of them... Mira's the only physically able-bodied person of the two of them. She's dragging Bran on a sled in the middle of this horrifying frozen landscape. Hodor held the door, but for how long? And they're going to be, you know, seized upon by these creatures any minute now. I mean, even the preview for the next episode shows that things are going to pick up fairly quickly from where we left off. So there's a few possible options for how they could survive that. But I think one of them that should be considered is maybe the Night King doesn't want at least Bran dead. That would probably be bad for Mira. Mm-hmm. But I could see the Night King, if not wanting to turn Bran into a White Walker, at least wanting to use Bran's power and not outright wanting to kill him. You can see that at, me, at least. Yeah. What is so great about Bran's power that the Night's King would be able to use it? Like, what does what can Bran do that the Night's King cannot do? Can Bran go back into the past, destroy the children of the forest, before they ever turned the White Walkers into White Walkers. And now these people are not damned to be White Walkers for all of time. Mm. Do they even like being White Walkers? I don't even like being a White Walker. Is that possible that they don't, in, they're self-loathing White Walkers? Yeah. Would they like to be people again? And is that one way to do it? But I don't think necessarily, like, it's just that like you're changing, you know, tens of thousands of years of history. Yeah. And it seems like maybe if anyone's going to be able to do that, Bran would be the guy. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, Daniel Strunk had written in. This is a theory that I'm seeing a lot right now. Daniel had written in. Is it at all possible that Bran is the Night's King? If Bran gets trapped in the past during one of his time travel sessions, he could theoretically grow up to become the man that the children of the forest transform. More generally, do you think the human identity of the Night's King will be significant? 
I don't recall, Josh, was the man who the children of the forest were tying up to the tree, did he seem like he had the full capacity of his legs? We didn't really see. He was tied to a tree. He seemed like he was standing. He looked like he had great upper body strength. Yes. Which would be probably a good sign that it could be Bran. I don't think that we saw him like, you know, like moving his legs around or anything i don't know i, I, think, I think it's a stretch there's no chance that that's brand i think it's a stretch i think the second part of daniel's question is better which is like more generally is that guy's identity going to matter or is he just random schmohawk with the unfortunate distinction of becoming the first white walker was he just like some arbitrary first man who was seized upon and they turned him into like their first frankenstein and that guy is just like the og white walker and that's really all that matters or is he a stark is he some, you know, ancestor of some of the people that we're following now? It's possible. It's possible that he could be a Stark and maybe there's something to that. But I don't know. I'm not sure if we are going to ultimately get that. Okay. Um, one more in this storyline before we move on from Luke Burbank. We've been talking about, you know, how is Bran? How are Mira? How are they going to survive this situation? Uh, Night King, if he wants them, maybe that's one uh benjamin stark was floated out in sure. the chat room i like that i kind of feel like that could be where we're going that would be really really exciting if that's where we're going luke had written in this possibility which would also be real badass uh bran and mira surviving next week looks pretty impossible unless the night king decides to take bran prisoner and drogon flies in to save the day we haven't seen drogon the dragon in a very long time is there any reason whatsoever that a dragon could fly in and kick some White Walker ass. Deus Ex Dragon Nuka. I don't know. To Sorry. me, it really feels like that that would be a stretch also. I mean, we haven't seen Bran. If we had like Bran like dreaming of Drogon and they had like some sort of a connection. So Drogon is going to, you know, leave Danny's side, cross the narrow sea, uh-huh. go to Westeros, yeah. go north. Yeah go to the wall because future Bran warged into Drogon and told Drogon to go to Bran at this exact moment in time. Yeah, I think that that is also a a bit of a stretch. I I can't see a dragon saving the day on this one. Yeah. Do you feel like the time travel stuff is cool or is it going to potentially screw things up on Game of Thrones a little bit? Like, is it going to be like, oh, that's because of time travel? Is that going to get old if they really lean on that button a lot? I mean, if they overdo it, sure. I don't. Do you think like it they, right now? Yeah, it's fine right now. I, yeah. I think if they continue to like every single thing is like we find out a product of brand going back in time and meddling. I think that's going to be annoying. But I feel like as of right now, it's fine. I don't think that's where we're going. We're coming off of a fantastic episode. Yeah, we I mean, nothing to complain about. I, very little to complain about. The warts were a lot. Yeah. You know that wasn't great, but so much else was so good. Uh, so that we was. Have, uh, <laughs> Only a couple things to complain about. <laughs> Literally two things mm-hmm. to complain about. Um, moving down from the wall, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with uh, with John and Sansa and their plan to take over the North, to win back the North, to win back their home. There's a little bit of a speculative question about where we could go if they are successful. Hello, guys. Great show as always. This is uh, Gregory Bridge Infrastructure. Do you think there could be a possible power struggle between Sansa and John, after the battle of Winterfell is all over, um, she's already starting to be kind of sneaky about gathering her own uh, forces, uh, from what Peter Baelish told her. Um, thank you. All right. Do we think that there is going to be a power struggle brewing between John and Sansa if they win back Winterfell? 
Sansa's acting a little shady. You pointed this out Mm -hmm. on our live show. Robert Craig had written in this week, said last week, it seemed like Sansa was becoming basically a badass. Now it seems like she's getting a little big for her britches. Mm. She's talking the talk, but she's yet to walk the walk. Do we think she's setting herself up for trouble? Uh, So do we think that Sansa is like using John now and then like some sort of thing is going to happen? Yeah. Uh, that's a great email by Robert Craig. It's good. It's, it's really great. Strong. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so I think that Sansa certainly that I'm getting the sense that, you know, it's a little bit of an overreach, but does John want power? I think he is pretty unusual in many of the characters of this show is that he does not seem like he is mad with with power. He sort of becomes the Lord commander of the night's watch, like reluctantly. He does not have sort of these great aspirations of I have, I need a castle I need a house like he's a bastard he just wants to be accepted mm. and so I think that John would happily step aside and let Sansa rule Winterfell if she was doing a good job now if she's really doing a bad job I feel like that that's where we might have a little bit more of a struggle I don't think that she's doing a bad job though I think like she's keeping you know she's keeping secrets aggressive. it's aggressive it's aggressive but I feel like it could pay off and if it does pay off then we're going to be excited about these aggressive tactics. I think that we're going to look back on it. And we're going to we're going to see like, oh, you made all the right moves. Flipping when you were supposed to be flopping. It turned out it worked out pretty well. Um, I feel like, you know, a big theme of Game of Thrones is like social change and social progress and how the man really oppresses everyone underneath them. We've been seeing that all throughout the infrastructure of the Seven Kingdoms. And I could really see a character like John who doesn't strike me as a guy who wants to be a leader in any capacity right now. Mm-hmm. He's really reluctantly along for this cause and is really kind of just using his status as Ned Stark's eldest surviving son. Granted, his bastard son, but still a son to rally the people in the North. But I could absolutely see him stepping aside and Sansa stepping up and being the person who's in charge of Winterfell. I really think that it's probably this show will end with if there is still a North to rule over i do think that sansa would probably be queen in the north queen in the north i think that that's where we're going with that character i hope so i think that'd be fun i mean of the remaining starks i mean she makes the most candidate by far who is mr sansa who is mr sansa sweet robin right sweet robin no no please no no Uh, gendry that would be good i feel like that he is probably better for aria right i feel like that's gonna be awkward it will be uncomfortable yeah yeah Arya's not gonna like that yeah, so I don't know if we have somebody out there yet who seems like that they would be we could ship with Arya. Do you know that some people this is gonna be a little weird. Do you know that some people are shipping John and Sansa? Stop it. It's, who? So there's people out there who, who like the John and what Sansa. Lunatics thing. are doing that. Just saying it, just saying that Johnsa is a thing. Johnsa, yeah. stop it. Some people like that. Um Littlefinger. Let's talk Littlefinger for a quick second. Well, if Loris Tyrell could make it out. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's her. It would be a good good outcome for him. I mean, it would be preferable to, you know, life in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about Littlefinger. Danielle had written in again. Is there any reason to believe that Littlefinger is lying to Sansa about her uncle being alive and having an army? We know that the Blackfish was at the Red Wedding, but don't know what happened to him. Plus, Sansa just got done telling him that she basically had no more use for him. Is he still looking out for her? And this can be paired with a question we got in from Jason Miles. Littlefinger tells the Vale it's time to quote unquote join the fray. Then in the next episode, he tries to get Sansa to go to River Run. Is this a coincidence? Perhaps not. So is Littlefinger setting her up? Is that a possibility? Uh, I guess it is possible that that it's is not like genuinely remorseful, right? 
as far as Littlefinger ever feels remorse? Yeah, I mean, we never have gotten an answer to that question where she says to him, well, either you are uh, an idiot uh-huh. or you knew. Right. So either one is bad. So I have no use for you. Right. So we never really found out what that was. We don't think he's an idiot. Um, so with the Blackfish at uh, River Run, I think that I, I believe I'm buying it. You're buying it. Yeah. You think that that's legit. I think it's legit. All right. Count it. Blackfish. Blackfish. It's happening. It's going to be real. Back in Blackfish. Back in Blackfish. Back in Blackfish. All right. Let's take a voicemail from Scott from Ottawa turning toward the Iron Islands. This is a funny one. Let's take this from Scott. Hey, Robin Josh. This is Scott from Ottawa. I have a quick question about Euron Greyjoy's plan to build a thousand ships. Now, I work in a lumber yard, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure what kind of equipment they have on the Iron Islands, but to make a thousand ships by cutting down trees, it could take a while. Now, what's going to happen first? Euron gets his thousand ships, or Daenerys makes it to King's Landing. Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Take care, guys. Yeah, like this could be the thing. Like it's like this could be the new barometer of how fast this story is moving. What mm. happens first? Danny finally makes it to Westeros, or Euron Greyjoy gets his thousand ships. Like one thousand ships, a lot is, is a lot of ships. Let's just say hypothetically that the people of Pike, that they are seafaring people, let's just say they could make one ship a day. Okay, so like a thousand days. Uh, yeah. We're talking a thousand days right now. That's like, years. Yeah. It's like three years. A long time. So, uh, I mean, three years from now, I, I feel like the event... Game of Thrones of, is over. Yes. yes the <laughs> event of Game of Thrones. Winter came, everyone died, there's no more ships. I feel like it's very hard to make a ship in a day. Yeah, so we're already like maybe being like a Gendry canoe you could make in a day. <laughs> they gave them Get like me one thousand canoes, <laughs> a thousand kayaks. Yeah, we're gonna kayak across the narrow sea and take over Marine. Hmm. I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe they're gonna sort of come back. Shipbuilders like, like you didn't specify. You know, you're on a thousand. It's kind of a lot. About like six. Can we make you like six ships? Do you want to hear uh, another funny thing about Stephen Fishback and his hot takes on Game of Thrones? Yes. He calls Euron Greyjoy urine Greyjoy with no irony. He just that's how he pronounces it. Okay. Just straight up urine. Yeah, he does not like the Euron Greyjoy story. I think he doesn't mind it, but yes. he just calls him urine. Okay. Yeah, he says urine Greyjoy. Brendan Fitzpatrick wrote in, if Yara and Theon stole the ships to offer the fleet to Danny, how do you think Danny's gonna react to meeting them with open arms or with burn them with fire? We got into this a little bit on the live show. Um, I feel like that's a good team up. I feel like Yara, Greyjoy, and Danny can be simpatico. I think they can see eye to eye. Have you given any further thought to this, Rob Sesternino? It, to me, I just don't know what Danny needs with all of these people. It feels like that the lessons that Danny is learning as she's going through all of this stuff with Marine is like, you can't really work with these people. Like yeah. she's tried to sort of like make these deals that Tyrion is trying to make and sort of like, oh, let me talk to the masters. I mean, is what is she going to be doing with the, with the, the Greyjoys, with the, with the Iron Islanders? Like she's really going to team up with them to what end? What, what's in it for them that they can use her dragons sometimes? Yeah, maybe it's like you could take the dragons out every once in a while. Yeah, so to me, I just still don't really get what this alliance is. Like, maybe that there's some reason why that they could book passage across the narrow sea with them, but it feels like that they're going very far out of their way to say, like, hey, can we work together? Right. Can we do something? 
Right. But I feel it's like it's a long ride. Right. It's a long ride, but I feel like it makes sense for Yara and Theon to park it there at Meereen, try to forge some alliance with Daenerys. They know that Euron, or Euron if you prefer, is on his way to Meereen eventually, if he's able to make it there at some point. Um, so to just like kind of be there, forge a new alliance with the person who has dragons, with the person that you know that your murderous uncle is trying to align with, probably makes sense to try and get ahead of that. So I feel like that's where it's going. I feel like the show is going to find some way to make that work. But you don't burn all of Danny's ships and then have the entire Greyjoy yeah, fleet on the open sea. It seems like plot-wise, that's where it's it. going. I just don't understand the motivations of all the characters there. Right. Well, Jennifer Stewart had written in, this episode left me thinking that Theon and Yara will join forces with Daenerys Targaryen, if this is true. Do you find it odd that Danny seems to be surrounding herself with eunuchs? First the Unsullied, mm-hmm. then Varys, now Theon. Hmm. She's like, trusts those guys. Yeah. And ironically, Amelia Clark is saying like, hey, let's get some more uh, un-eunuchs in the show. Right. Either show it or have nothing to show. <laughs> yeah. Those are the rules. Yeah. That's the that's more pillars, <laughs> more pillars, some stones as well. If we can get those in the mix. Uh, let's take another voicemail on the subject of Danny and her her restored BFF, Jorah Mormont. That was so nice, wasn't it? I wish he was more restored. Yeah. Well, that's that's the question. Is he going to be able to heal himself up? Restore a Mormon. Restore a Mormon. So very quick voicemail from Jason about what we might be able to get as Jorah seeks out the cure for Grayscale, a disease that he contracted in old Valyria, a very important place in Game of Thrones history. This is from Jason. Do you think Jorah's going to go to the ruins of Valyria and through him we can maybe find some answers about the doom? All right, so the Doom of Valyria, for those who do not recall, it was mentioned a little bit in that same episode that Jorah gets uh, grayscale, is Valyria was like this ancient, civilized civilization, like really advanced. They had dragons. This is where the Targaryens come from. The Targaryens are basically the only survivors of this so-called Doom in old Valyria, where no one really knows exactly what happened. Lots of fire, lots of death. Mm. Basically, an entire civilization wiped out overnight, some people think that whatever happened there could be informative of the future of the show. It was mentioned a little bit in this past episode as well in the Arya storyline where Jake and Hagar says that we started out the faceless men. We are born in um, the mines in old Valyria. So that's our origin story. Do you think that that could be why we are sending Jorah off? Because doesn't that seem like a logical place for him to go if he's looking for a cure for grayscale? Why not go back to the place where he got it? I don't know, because there's a lot of crazy stone men there that are going nuts that are trying to attack him like Tusken Raiders. He could show up, though, and show him the form. Be like, I'm one of you. Well, I'm one of you. And And they're like, one of us. And they'll hug him and stuff like that. Gobble, gobble. Yeah, I feel like they could all be friends. Maybe that's going to be the new thing is he's going to be captain of the stone men. And that's even more allies for Daenerys Targaryen. I I think that the key to curing Jorah is going to be through some sort of the... Uh, you know, magic mm. and uh, Lord of Light type stuff, you know, uh, with the flames and, and something something like that in the same way that Shireen, the only other person that we've heard of that's cured. Yeah. That, that I think that that's what, where this is going to go. In terms of finding out what caused the doom, just to go back to your favorite lost once again, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a lot of things that we're just never going to get an answer sure. or an explanation of. And I think that the more you explain these things, the less interesting they become. Yeah, I think that there's something to that. I think that there's also something to like, if you could tell it artfully, then it's worth telling. Um, Whether or not we're going to go there through Jorah, I'm not sure. 
But we had been talking about Jorah Mormont like a lost cause. We'd been mm-hmm. talking about him like, that dude's dead for sure. He's not going to make it out of Game of Thrones. There's just no chance. Um, now that we have this story of him being like set off to go find the grayscale cure, mm-hmm. is he is he still a marked man? I mean, he's physically a marked oh, man. Oh, he's got a shot. But he's, he's got, got a, a shot, shot now, right? Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, otherwise, why put that on there? They could have just like had Danny be like, I'm so sorry. Come hang out with us. You're kind of going to be like, you know, off in seclusion. We don't really want the grayscale spreading, but you can hang out with us until you croak. Like they would have done something different than just like, go find the cure, Sir Jorah. I command you. I command you. So I feel like something's going to happen there. I hope so. Um, one final question. Let's turn over to the Arya storyline. Um, we both agreed that the Arya storyline is a little long this week. Yeah, I thought that the play went on a little bit long. A little long. That's what the critics were saying. That's what the critics were saying. I don't necessarily disagree with what the critics were saying on that one. Uh, I still think it was a compelling scene. This is from Inessa, who had a thought about how the scene played out and how this hit seems to be playing Mm. out against Lady Crane and a suggestion for what might have been a little bit cooler. This is from Inessa. Hi, Robin Josh. Anessa from New York City here. I know. So I'm not a storyteller. It's not what I do. <laughs> but I was thinking that it would be a much more compelling story if Arya was hired to kill the Sansa actress, maybe even by the Cersei actress, rather than having to kill the Cersei actress, who just represents a person that's already on her death list and would be a lot easier for her to do anyway. Do you think this is just a missed opportunity with the show or is there something else going on here? Let me know what you guys think. Thanks so much. Bye. So what do you think? Missed opportunity to not have Arya targeting a fake Sansa. Well, let me just say, I thought that the Sansa actress, the actress playing Sansa in the play, I thought she did a fantastic job. You I thought she that, was I great. She was very good. She was really good. She what was, did you like the most? Oh, I just the entire the entire performance. Yeah, I mean, she was very she strong. Was, she was really really good. Cool. I would say that is it, we don't know what the people what, what Jack and Hagar is is going for here. Is he trying to find somebody that Arya wants to kill? Like like yes, I am I am still Arya Stark. I can't wait to kill Cersei. So I'll kill this Cersei proxy, no problem. So I think that that's probably more along the lines of what he wants to check. He wants to see if she still has vengeance for the people on her list. More so vengeance, vengeance yeah. More so than okay, well let's find somebody that'll be harder for her to kill. Right. Yeah, I'm still, you know, scratching my head a little bit over like what does Jake and Hagar want? You know, what does he really want Arya to do here? Clearly, we agree. This is a test. Mm-hmm. This is just a test. It is only a test. Um, and whether or not she passes or fails determines whether or not she continues on with the House of Black and White. Just to d- condense uh, a question from Jackie from Alberta that kind of drives at the same idea, which is how is Arya going to get back into the mix of the main story? Which is something that I think that we've been mm-hmm. wondering for a while. At least Danny's story seems to be about her getting enough power to go to Westeros and do the thing that she set out to do early on in the series. Arya ran away from Westeros with no clear intention of going back. But you got to imagine that the show is going to draw her back in at some point. It's just, it's hard to see how. Are we starting to see how? Are we starting to see that Arya is being put on this assignment that she doesn't seem to really want to do? Doesn't seem like she wants to kill Lady Crane. If she doesn't kill Lady Crane... Is that just going to set Arya 2 off? Is that going to set Jake and Hagar off? Are they, are, are they going to be completely out on Arya Stark and that either gets her kicked out of the House of Black and White or even more aggressively turns her into an enemy of the House of Black and White? 
Are we going to see Arya ditching the House of Black and White sometime soon? I mean, why isn't she going to kill the Cersei person? She doesn't want to do it. She doesn't seem like she wants to. That To me, I feel like, oh, then the girl, the girl is no one. Okay, so you think that that's the successful thing. You think that if she doesn't kill Cersei, that they're going to be thumbs up. Or if she does it, but doesn't seem to take any pleasure in it, I, I think that you know part of this is still the test. Okay. And I think I, I don't think that she's going to become an enemy of the House of Black and White. I think that they said to her, like, "Hey, we'll give you a second chance. We're not giving you a third chance." In one way or another, we're adding a face to right. the wall. So it felt like to me, if you screw this up, we it's will your kill face. you. Yes. Yeah, your face goes up on the wall. So I don't think there's going to be no sort of like, "Hey, you failed. Leave. Cut, don't don't come back. Good day, sir." So if she. <laughs> good day i said so if she succeeds if she steals fizzy lifting drinks uh if she is able to work here with the house of black and white do you see them sending, don't steal fizzy lifting don't steal drinks. fizzy lifting drinks if they send her to westeros do you think that that's where we go do you think that the house of black and white puts her back in the seven kingdoms is that how you draw her back into the story it seems like that's the logical way that this goes like they send her off on a mission which ends up and then maybe she is like sort of like torn between can she get involved with what's going on or or complete her mission yeah i hope so i want to see Arya back in there it seems like all the starks are getting close together except for her mm-hmm. like bran lord have mercy on that poor soul let him I mean, they're all in the north let him pass through the wall because if he does then you know the next logical place is for him to find john and sansa mm-hmm. who are trying to find rickon and then it's really just Arya is the only one out there i think that the starks are getting back together i think that the story is finally starting to constrict which is cool yeah it's fun that's it that's all i got that's, that's all, all i got. have for you all right josh what's the hashtag river run it up river run it up yeah it's easy there you go all right so what's coming up next you have a book club still coming this yeah. week terry schwartz is back in action i'm going to be recording with her on thursday night uh game of thrones book club really looking forward to diving into all of that and then we'll be back uh live on sunday night talking more game of thrones okay so good stuff of course you want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast go to postshowrecaps.com slash got itunes for our game of thrones podcast feed also uh, our post show recaps podcast is nominated for two podcast awards the daily voting opens up for that coming up this sunday night when Josh Wiggler and Antonio Mazzaro will be live after the episode. Yes, Maester Mazzaro is filling in for Maester Sesternino. Yeah, I'm going to be on my way back from Reno at that point, but I will be back for the voicemail feedback show for episode number six. Really looking forward to getting Antonio's takes on Game of Thrones this season. Uh, I'm sure he has many. Yes. Uh, So it'll be really fun. We'll come on, you know, a little bit after the episode ends as we've been doing all season long. Really appreciate everybody's patience with that. All right. So good stuff. Also, we had our Fear the Walking Dead finale podcast. How did that go? How was that? I thought it was a a fun show. I think that whether you are a fan of the show or whether you have some issues with the show, I think that there was each side represented in my conversation Uh with Alex Kidwell. I will not spoil who had which view. Okay. And so you can check that out on postshowrecaps.com. And of course, Josh and Antonio have their ongoing Mr. Robot recaps uh each week here on poster recaps leading up to season two yeah we're up to episode four which not unlike the brand stark storyline from this current season of game of thrones gets really trippy so i'm very excited to talk about episode four of mr robot this week with antonio all right good stuff everybody thanks so much for listening looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com take care everybody bye